Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we got a Q&A. <clears throat> got a lot of good questions. Um, we got a lot of questions from the long form podcast submission link. I need in the, to share it more in my story. Yeah. Did you? I, yeah. And then the next day a bunch came in. Yeah. <clears throat> so... I never share it because mm. I'm always doing Instagram Q&As, yeah. <clears throat> but that's like that short little box, you know? Yep. Um, so as always, guys, that's in the description of the podcast, but it's also in the link of my uh, Instagram. So if you ever randomly have a question and you want to get an answer that should be given on the uh, podcast, obviously you can always DM me if you have something specific that you want me to help you with, but uh, feel free to click that link in the bio and then there's a menu and at the bottom of the menu it says ask a question for the podcast. That's the form. Yep. And it just lives there. So... Um, you're just not constricted to small amount of characters. Exactly. Yeah, and we still ask that you summarize it. I uh, I put it in my uh, story or in my uh, my newsletter that is going to go out tomorrow as we're recording this as well. Please don't write us a blog on the question. Form. Basically, what I said, like I said, uh, just summarize it so it's easy to read. Like think of this in the context of um, like what I would tell people to do is write everything you need to write, and then before you click submit, read it to yourself because a lot of times there's a lot of grammar errors, which is fine. We can work through those, but if you read it and you find yourself just kind of like rambling through a question, like think of somebody on podcast air talking that out, like make it easier on Travis basically <laughs> to word that out. For sure. Um, and it just makes it easier for us. And then we yeah. can still help you. So um, you're going to get the same answer, but it's a little more concise. Yeah. And sounds better on a podcast. Readable. <laughs> yeah. um, and on the note of free stuff, we might as well just shout out all the free shit we give out right now. So um as always, I usually wait till the end, but I want to make a point to do this at the beginning today for whatever reason, just to remind you guys, there's so much free content that lives on the website. We are dropping a blog every single week. There are two videos dropping on the YouTube page every single week. There are two to three podcasts every week. Obviously, you're listening to that. Um, there's free guides, free webinars. I mean, it's endless. And when you get any of the free guides, you're likely going to get on my email list, which you're going to get four free emails per week, all value-based. So it's not like one of those, uh, we all know those people that you're on their email list and it's just, you're getting hammered with sales emails every single day of the week and it's annoying and it annoys me. So I don't do that. I actually give value. So you want to be on my email list, but all those things can be found at tailoredcoachingmethod.com as well as a link to the Taylor trainer app and our coaching. So if you need direct help with training or nutrition, we are the people to help you go to that place. Everything lives there. That is the one-stop shop. Amen. Um, all right. Let's do it. Cool. Let's get on to it. We got the first one coming from Tiff Driscoll. It says, what is your opinion on the carnivore diet for muscle gain? Uh, to put it bluntly, I think the carnivore diet is stupid, first of all. Uh, for muscle gain, second of all, I think it's just as stupid, mm. honestly. Any diet that tells you do not eat fruits and vegetables immediately throws up a red flag. Mm. They're very confusing. As a whole, don't eat anything but meat. I mean, like, just really think about that. You got to, how is that not stupid? You know what I mean? There is one circumstance I think it is acceptable and maybe a viable option. And it's if you have such an extreme autoimmune issue that you literally cannot digest or absorb nutrients from such a variety of foods that you're restricted to damn near nothing. Yeah. So it's like the ultimate elimination diet. So I think you can use it as a way to fix a gut issue by doing an elimination protocol, which often is like we eliminate, basically go to like a paleo diet, but in the circumstance where you also have intolerances to something like eggs and some random vegetables or something weird, 
going on a carnivore diet would solve that. But once you remove the issue, I think you should start reintroducing things, especially because one of the biggest issues with a carnivore diet is the lack of vitamin C. And you can start to get some serious malnutrition if you have zero vitamin C in yeah. your diet. Um, you're going to get next to none. And that's why they actually have some stuff. I saw Alan Aragon talking about this, and he's a very reliable source with nutrition. But people's like teeth were decaying and stuff because now we're starting to get to the, the point where it's like years of people actually practicing something like this. Um, and you got to remember, two people will, will like throw out like, well, there's, uh, there's cultures in places like... Uh, Alaska and like really remote areas and stuff in the frigid cold, you know, that's what they do because you can't grow produce out yeah. there. But number one, when a species has adopted that over time, like their ancestors have been doing it, you do adapt to certain things. Number two, they eat a ton of organ meats. So a lot of the things that are not going to be uh, found inside of meat when you're on a carnivore diet that you would become deficient in, they're likely going to be found in, uh, Heart, tongue, heart, liver, lung, you know what I mean? And those people up there don't leave anything behind. Yeah. They eat everything. Yeah. Um, so case in point, it's probably not the healthiest option in my opinion. I think if it, if you have a, a, a malnutrition autoimmune related disease, which again, something to that extreme is so unbelievably rare anyway, most people do not need to go to that extreme. Even those who do probably need to go to that extreme, not because they can't eat anything but meat, but because they have to only eat meat yeah. to eliminate everything so that they can reintroduce things one by one and figure out what the one thing was causing them the issues. Um, but outside of that specific scenario, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, you're, you're missing out on so many nutrients for health. It, it's probably not the right route to go. Yeah. And a lot of people, like I had, uh, there was that one guy that was arguing with me about how it's not about calories because, you know, it's about carnivore. Yeah. Cause oh. he said, he was like, it's not about calories, it's about hormones. And I eat carnivore and I eat as much as I want. And I got, I dropped 10 pounds of fat and I was like, okay, but do you track your macros and calories? No. Okay, well, number one, you don't even know if you're not in a deficit, if you're not tracking calories. So track your calories and come back to me and tell me you're not in deficit because if you're in a deficit, it's not because of carnivore, it's because you're in a deficit. That's why you lost fat. Number two, protein doesn't have a storage component. So carbs and fats can actually be stored in the muscle tissue or as fat. Protein's not going to do that, at least to what we know. From what we've seen in research, people overfeed protein. It just doesn't source fat. And they haven't done a study that's shown any fat storage from protein. So it's kind of, it's a believable hypothesis that there is no real storage component. However, I can't say that for sure because obviously there's mechanisms in the body that maybe could, but we just don't see it happen. And people have ate twice their body weight in protein yeah. for a long period of time and Didn't not see it. it. So I don't think anybody's going to ever eat enough protein to actually see it stores fat. So not only is this person potentially in a deficit from going carnivore, but also he's only eating fucking protein and some fat because fat from meat. But even if you got all of your fat from meat, imagine you're not having any olive oil, you don't have any avocado. Um, some of them eat eggs, I think, in the carnivore, but I'm not sure. But no fat other than meat, your meat, your, your fat store content is still not going to be super high on that diet. But nonetheless, you did a super low carb diet. So it's very likely that you're going to be in a, in a deficit. Um, I also don't know how these people shit. There's no fiber. How are you getting fiber on a carnivore diet? You're not. So, and the, the body can process and digest things without fiber, of course. Um, but I've heard of plenty of people having some uh, gnarly bowel movements or issues with bowel movements I'm when sure. going carnivore. Quite painful. Yeah. Um, Joe Rogan did carnivore for a little bit and he was very open about his bowel movements. Yeah. It was very funny. Yeah. I mean, he, it was funny cause he made a joke about it. Yeah. He's a comedian, but, um, 
So yeah, and then the other side of this is that for muscle gain specifically, I think it's stupid because you're not getting any carbohydrates. Now you could, I would say you could maintain muscle on a carnivore diet. And I also don't think it's going to necessarily limit performance per se, because you can be glycogen depleted and still potentially improve strength because it's so neurological, but you would have to be specifically doing low rep training because after a certain point you need to rely on glycogen to support higher rep and higher volume training. Um, and there's also like Dr. Ted Baker, or maybe it's not Ted Baker. Ted Baker is a clothing brand, right? (laughs) I feel like his name starts with T. Type in Dr. Baker Carnivore. I feel like his name might be someone with a T. But Dr. Baker, yeah. um, what's his name? Sean. Sean. Not even close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, those are nice watches. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sean Baker, uh, he was like the first main proponent of Carnivore. Yeah. Um, granted, does it say on there? I think he's a surgeon or something. I don't know. Uh, Maybe type in profession accomplished athlete he is an accomplished athlete that's what i was gonna get to he won like a for his weight class or age or maybe it was like age and weight class like a world record for rowing like on a concept rower Dope. which is cool but it just goes to show like maybe you can get away with some aerobic performance and stuff while being carnivore he did but it, uh, there's other thing too is like that's one athlete yeah that won a championship in the entire world that we know of that went carnivore mm-hmm we can't say that. I don't like, know how many athletes. Exactly. We yeah. can't say that like, oh, this is a good route for an athlete because he did it. Yeah. Um, and the reason I brought it up if he's a surgeon was only because like, and I don't know if he is, so this is just me throwing it out there. But, you know, if I'm a dentist and I put a doctor in front of my name and start talking about nutrition, doesn't mean you should trust my nutrition advice. You know what I'm saying? So I do. if he's a surgeon of something else, like what makes us think that he's the best person to talk to about performance, being an athlete, muscle growth, fat loss? I don't know. I got to imagine if he's got a doctor for his name, he's probably smart as an yeah. individual, period. He's a smart individual. Doesn't mean that he knows this specific thing. Yeah. Um, he knows enough to promote it. And he's, I mean, he's a big proponent of it. So, and some people love it, but I'm not a fan of it. I think it's uh dumb you can't have an opinion yeah exactly my <laughs> no, opinion is this I, I was just curious uh you were talking about like it's hard to get fats with it right mm-hmm. this is saying that you can eat fish fish has fat right yeah so does steak. fish oil so does steak so does ribeye so does bacon so does chicken so does it's just not i mean i'm just saying if you only got you fats from meat it would be very hard to have a high fat diet oh, yeah you know That's and it. your your digestion would be fucked eating. because you would just be eating so much saturated fat yeah you know okay. what I mean? And that's from not, protein. Yeah. And that would be another concern of mine too, is like, uh, I mean, fish oil is, is polyunsaturated. So obviously it's a little bit different, but most carnivore people eat a ton of ribeye, a ton of chicken thighs, like fatty meats and stuff. That's a lot of saturated fat. I would be worried about some of your health parameters. Cause we know if you have too much saturated fat, it's not a good thing. Clogged you know? arteries. Yeah. It's, it's not good for you. You need some to support testosterone and hormone levels, but you need a balance between mono poly and saturated. And usually saturated is on the lower end of that balance gotcha. anyway. Um, so I think for many reasons, it's probably not the safest route. I don't, I think there's a lot of things that are left out that would lead to, uh, health concerns later on. And I think people might follow a carnivore diet and feel great even for up to a year or so, because it would take a long time to truly become malnourished because you got to think about it. Like if you go into this, you have 40 pounds to lose, that's 40 pounds of fat storing nutrients, fat soluble nutrients. You have water every day. Like there's going to be like, you get uh, sunlight, you get vitamin D. I mean, it would take a while to get so deficient in nutrients that you would actually see illness. Multiple years. Yeah. So it might take some time and it's still a new thing. So I think it's going to be a while and there's obviously no research on it because it's such a new thing that um, 
I don't, I don't like buying into anything so much that doesn't have any research to support it anyway. Um, and then last one, at least for, for muscle growth, it's just stupid because you can't have carbs. I mean, carbohydrates are literally the primary fuel source for your body. Number two, they are what muscle is made up of. So muscle is 60 to 65% water. The only way water is getting stored in the muscle is if you have full glycogen stores because muscle glycogen is carbohydrates getting stored in the muscle. So if you don't have glycogen, you're not going to fill up your muscles. If you don't have uh, glycogen, you're not going to hydrate your muscles. You're not going to recover your muscles. You're going to yeah. get more cramping. So it's just, it, it, I mean, you can't, like, this is why, like, when we go into, like, a lean bulk or trying to build muscle, you have your protein set at a, a, a good part. The, the fats need to be, like, low to moderate. And then you just start slowly building carbs up as high as you can so you can keep pushing training harder and recovering better because carbs are the nutrient that is going to support better recovery, better performance, more volume in the gym, and therefore more muscle. For sure. But you're cutting those out. Yeah. So the answer is no. Yeah, carnivore stupid, <laughs> in my opinion. All right, uh, we will go to the next one. It comes from Carrie. Uh, it says, I am an active person and often get get to the end of the day and under my target calories for the day. I am trying to maintain but not lose weight, so will often have a large snack or meal right before bed to meet my calorie needs. Is there a problem with this eating structure? I found, I found that it helps me sleep and go to bed with a full-ish stomach. Um, there's a couple, like, I think in general, no, um, we could get nitty gritty and say yes. So, um, in general, most research shows, it, I guess it, dep- it depends on what like you define as the problem, right? So like if she, if she's coming to me and she's like, I want to lose fat, I like having this meal before bed. Is that going to stop me from losing weight? I'd say no, because if you, if you hit your total daily calorie intake, you're gonna be fine. We've seen that in research. It doesn't really matter. Um, if we're also thinking about health and or we're thinking about things that could limit your ability to lose fat consistently over time, I might say maybe because if we have a big meal, so for a long time, people would say like, well, just don't have carbs too close to bed because carbs uh, increase your blood sugar. If you increase your blood sugar, you're probably gonna have issues sleeping, so on and so forth. Um, but what we also know is that carbs aren't the only thing that increase blood sugar or uh, they increase it the most, but there's and spike your insulin the most, but there's protein spikes your insulin, fat spikes your insulin. The main thing that causes like a big spike in insulin is calories. So if you're having calories before bed, we're going to see blood sugar spikes. Now, certain people get affected by this differently and certain people have a more rapid increase and decrease of blood sugars. Other people have very subtle, right? Um, Or sustained. So I know some people who will have uh, food before bed like that and they can't sleep because they start sweating, they're awake, they're like, their heart rate gets up, their uh, their cortisol elevates because of the blood sugar and so on and so forth. And other people, it just doesn't fucking matter at all. I can eat a, a decent sized meal. I mean, I have my meal at not 8.30 to 9 p.m., my last meal, and I usually fall asleep around 10-ish. I'm like laying down. That's relatively close. That's closer than I would normally recommend. It's mainly protein with a little bit of fat, so it's, it's, a, it's like a 300-calorie meal. It's not that big of a meal. So I would say it depends on your body size and how many calories you're taking in um, and where you're at in your journey, you know, because if you're just starting, you're just trying to lose weight, I would say don't even worry about that right now unless you find that it's literally causing you to have negative sleep issues because it's causing, if it's causing you to have negative sleep issues, that's going to lead to higher cravings, uh, higher hunger levels, worse adherence, and then you're just not going to stay consistent with the mm-hmm. diet. So instead of eating right before bed, push it two to three hours away from bed. Um, but if it doesn't phase you at all, don't worry about it. 
You know what I mean? So there is research to show that you should probably have more of your calories in the earlier part of the day and less calories at the end of the day. So basically you start the day with more and you taper off as the day goes on. Um, this is going to be better for, again, sleep patterns and circadian rhythm. We had Danny Lennon on the podcast way back for chrononutrition. That's kind of the idea is it's like, it's kind of like intermittent fasting, but you flip it on its head. So instead of fasting in the morning and then having a big meal at night, you have a big meal first thing in the morning and then you stop eating earlier in the day. But you can also just take the principles and remove the fast. So have a big meal in the morning and taper that off as the day goes, as in lower your calories as the day goes. This is actually what I do. Um, my first two, like, my first meal of the day, first three meals, really, the meals before I work out, which are all consumed between 8 and like 1 p.m., those are my biggest meals. And then my last two meals of the day are pretty small. Um, and it helps me sleep better, helps my circadian rhythm. But also when you have a lot of calories in the morning, it, I mean, it, it essentially increases your maintenance intake for the day. So what that means is like they found that people were able to lose weight on more calories uh, when they did it that way. Mm. And it makes sense because really all that's happening is the same thing that happens with metabolic adaptation, but in the reverse, when we reduce calories, we step less throughout the day. We fidget less. Our neat goes down when we have a lot of calories in the morning. Guess what? Our neat throughout the day goes up because we bring in a bunch of energy in the morning and we have more energy to support more movement throughout the day. Pretty. Sir, is there an actual way to track neat? No, just steps. Yeah. Step count is part of neat, but some people would argue even too, is like at a certain point, your step count isn't even neat because it's intentional. Yeah. You know what I mean? So at that point it's not, it's exercise induced. So it depends, yeah. you know, and this is why like it's how many it, times did I blink today? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you can't okay. track that. They, I mean, you can in a lab setting cause they will put monitors on you for, um, I mean like how many, I mean, if you think like even Apple watch will tell you how many hours you stand standing is part of neat. You know, they can have a lab where I'm sure they have like sensors and cameras and shit like that. They could track wow. how many times people blink at stuff and do all those things. I'm sure. Um, there's probably a way as well to like test somebody's heart rate and then know how it like if you. What affected it? Yeah, exactly. So if by the end of the day you actually did fidget less, talk less, blink less, do all these things less, your heart rate is lower at the end of the day and that's how they gauge I it. I do that. Um, but again, nobody listens to podcasts sitting in the lab or paying <laughs> to do that. You know what I mean? So. Step count is the only way to do it. And I still call it neat even when we intentionally increase it because, I mean, if we... It's low intensity. Yeah. And we're just overcomplicating it for people if we start saying, like, the second you purposely step more, now we're not. And, like, yeah. and at the whole at the point of it, too, is when we start dieting and our neat goes down, that's the only way we can try to maintain it from going down. So... Um, Totally. But yeah, that, that'll all go up if we do this, like, chrononutrition style of eating. So um, in some regards, like... Here's the thing is like, that's a very small difference for somebody. So like for somebody in my position, I would go, Hey, it actually would make sense because if it burns an extra hundred calories a day, it's worth it. But for somebody who has 40 pounds to lose, it's overcomplicating something that doesn't need to be overcomplicated because they're going to lose weight easily because they have 40 pounds to lose. They're new to this or even 10 to 20 pounds to lose. When you're new in the game, there's no point in throwing in complex methods because it's just going to overcomplicate and overwhelm you. Stick to the basics. That's all you need. When you get more advanced, you can start playing with some of these things. So um, I would say if you're an advanced individual, it, it makes sense to do this kind of stuff. Um, and even for me, like again, I still eat right before bed, but I taper my calories throughout the day to make it less of an impact. Um, and I think that the only reason to not do it would be if it's causing digestive or sleep issues, which for some people it does, some people it doesn't. Hmm. That's that. Interesting. Well, I just want to say if anybody is in the lab listening to this podcast, 
Shout us out. I used to always have like a like a bucket list thing of like I wanted to be in a study really bad. Like I just thought that would be the coolest thing to be a study participant. Yeah. Because I'm a geek. And then I realized at one point in my life, I was like, I would not want to spend my time doing that shit for anybody just to eventually be able to say like, this one time I was in a uh, randomized control trial and about they, they volume. Pay, they pay for my meals for yeah. a week. <laughs> Literally. They pay you dog shit. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm just going to read the studies that people do. Yeah. All right. We got another one from Carrie. She was hammering the questions. I love it. It was uh, says most of my training is sport specific, uh, including rock climbing. But I strength train once per week to support this. I try to fit everything into one session: push, pull, hinge, squat, and lift heavy. I find it takes me a long time—two days—to recover from this session. Is this because I am not doing lifts frequently enough to allow my body to adapt to them, or is it because I am doing too much work in one session? It's a good question. Um. Probably not doing too much work in one session um, because it tapered. So, like, the reason I would say that is because if you were doing too much work in one session, I mean, here's the signs if you are. Number one, you're not progressing at all. Number two, um, you would be sore for more than two days. Mm. Two days is common DOMS. Like, 24 to 48 hours is normal. Like, delayed onset muscle soreness is when you train you feel great all day and then you wake up next morning you're sore as fuck and then the next day you're still kind of sore and then the next day you're like okay i'm ready to train again Mm. totally normal um will that go away eventually it should but also you're only training once a week so it might not ever or it might take a really long time to go away because if you trained more frequently yes you are going to be less sore less often like you're not going to be as sore and you're not going to be as sore as much. Um, and that just comes down. It's the same reason why like soreness and muscle growth is like a linear thing. Like as soreness goes away, less muscle growth happens. It's not because soreness and muscle damage is the key to muscle growth. It's because as you get more experienced, it's very hard to create a novelty stimulus. It's hard for me to do something in the gym that I've never done before. That's going to create an extreme level of soreness. And usually when something creates a good level of soreness for me, it's just because I haven't done it in a while. I was going to say you could, I mean, but it's, going to be soreness for a day yeah. maybe you know what I mean and right now because I'm dieting I can't even lift heavy enough to really create enough soreness I haven't been sore for weeks now not really sore and it's honestly just because like I don't have the energy to like lift super super hard or heavy but even when I'm not dieting I have to be like really pushing it or doing something pretty new in order for me to create that novelty stimulus to create soreness for sure so um I would say uh, you probably need to train more often strength training in order to get rid of that soreness. Um, and then that's the thing is like, usually what happens is like even, you know, week one, you implement new exercises, you're sore for like a week, maybe two, and then it kind of goes away. But then after a couple more weeks, you're like three, four weeks into the program, you switch programs, you get that soreness again. Um, that's good. I think that's is that something three you or four chase. weeks, even enough to make that soreness go away. Usually. Yeah. Usually the novelty stimulus is done by then. Cause then you're progressing. Yep. Um, if you're sore for longer than a week straight in the same muscle group, then you're doing too much. And that's how, that's how I would know if she was doing too much in one session. Um, and the reason I say three or four weeks before the soreness goes away, I mean more so like, okay, I did bench press week one on Monday. I'm sore until Thursday, but next week on Monday, I hit chest again. I'm sore again for a couple days. Week three, I'm not really that sore anymore from bench. Week four, I'm not sore at all from bench. I adapted to it. That's how the program's supposed to work. And then guess what? New program. We changed the stimulus of bench from a, 
flat to an incline or we change the rep range or the intensity or something like that. And then that re-stimulates it over time. Totally. But that's a good thing. Like we're not chasing muscle damage and soreness, but that is showing that we are creating a new stress and stimulus to the muscle. And that's something that's positive for long-term muscle growth. So, um, and even strength, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think you're doing too much. Uh, I think you're just not training frequently enough. Um, and that's not saying like you should train more because, you know, maybe you're just trying to maintain. It sounds like you're, you care more about rock climbing. So keep doing the rock climbing, train once a week. Keep doing the exact same thing you do until the soreness goes away. Love it. And then switch up the program, go through that cycle again. Yep. Good. All right, cool. We will go to the next question. It is from Jeannie or Jenny. Uh, it says, I am currently doing a push-pull leg split that is a six-day-per-week six program. On the weeks I can only get to the gym five weeks, It is is it better to skip one of these sessions or spread them out over eight or nine days rather than seven? Thank you for all the context you provide. Is that it? Well, yeah, there's a huge thing in parentheses. In effect, do, should I do push-pull legs push pull then restart the week when i get back to the gym or do all six sessions even if it stretches over nine days yeah. so uh optimal answer is going to be to stretch it out over a, a longer period of time and uh less optimal but sometimes more practical is going to be not to is to just skip a day so if we're doing a six day a week push pull legs program typically we look at that in a seven day micro cycle micro cycle is a training week but a training week doesn't mean the same thing as a calendar week. Calendar week is seven days, right? But you can, I've done programs that are 14-day uh, training cycles. So like, for example, um, if we're splitting up the body parts in a way that we want to implement, or even like if we want to implement multiple goals, so strength and hypertrophy, we might go like upper, lower, upper, lower, push-pull legs, push-pull legs, and spread that out over two weeks. And the reason we do that is because every other week is strength-focused Every in the weeks in between are hypertrophy-focused. Um, there's also times where you might go like chest and back, legs, arms and shoulders, rest, chest and back, leg, and it ends up stretching beyond maybe it's eight days because you go three days on, one day off, three days on, one day off. That's eight days, totally. not seven. Um, and that's how the original push-pull leg split was actually made, I believe, is, is and this is how I remember it originally was push, pull, legs, rest, push, pull, legs, rest, push, pull, legs, rest. So like every, it was an eight day micro cycle. So your rest days changed over the course of a month. Now that sometimes isn't practical because unless you're a single person who lives alone and just dictates their, tra their schedule of life around training, doesn't necessarily work like that. Um, For the majority of people. Exactly. And honestly, like if I could have my training my way, it would be more like that because I would be more intuitive with my rest periods or my rest days. But there's a lot of times where I'm like, I'm just going to have to go lighter today. I don't have it all in me, but I know for a fact it's sometimes it's just harder for me to get to the gym on the weekends, right? Or sometimes my Saturday workouts in my garage and I'm limited to dumbbells, you know, but that's life. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to change my life in order to change my program. I'm going to fit the program to my life. Um, and if I have it in me, like during maintenance phases, like when I'm not dieting, it's usually easy for me to just go Monday through Friday, five days straight in a row. Um, but yeah, I think like, and the reason I say this is because optimally you would stretch it because that still allows you by the end of uh, the mesocycle. So let's say your, your training block, the entire training program is four to six weeks long. By the end of that four to six week period, you're still getting in all the volume that you, you planned to get on paper for all the muscle groups. Whereas if you skipped a day every week, then you're not getting all the sessions in. Now, here's what I would say as well. For example, there was a point where I was doing push ball legs and there was plenty of weeks where I would skip the second leg day because it was a Saturday for my leg day and I couldn't always get in the gym on leg day. 
However, I wasn't dieting, so I was at maintenance or above, and and I would probably still do this if I was dieting. I just didn't, one, care too much about my legs around that much. It's not a body part like I'm super interested in getting jacked. Number two, it was, uh, I re- it was now I think about it, it was last summer, and I had your wedding and a couple others that were coming, but like I had to be in slacks. Buff legs don't fit in slacks very well. It's very uncomfortable. Your ass feels like it's going to pop the buttons. It's just not fun. And then your f- cell phone can't even fucking fit in them. And then you got this like weird outline of like, if you rub into anything, it like rubs the material and you get this like white, you know, when people's jeans in the back pocket. <laughs> oh yeah. From like a can of chew. Yeah. I would have that in my front pocket for my phone. Yeah. Because my pants were getting too tight and the material was thin. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to train my legs once a week. And when I was doing push pull legs, it was like that too. It was like, I'm training them twice a week, but if there's a week where I can't get in the second day, I'm just not going to get in the second day. I'm going to make sure my squats are on my day one. So I get the main movement I want to get in. There you go. And I'm going to skip it. So if you're on the other end of that, you're like, no, I really care about training my legs. I don't give a shit about training my chest, shoulders, and triceps. Then maybe if you're going to skip a day, you skip the push day. So you go push, pull, legs, rest, pull, legs, and then go back into the push, pull, legs. There split. You go. So um, I think that a lot of times people get st- like stuck on what the paper says and they forget to just individualize it to their own needs. Like, especially with like, I know with a lot of guys that was like the leg training thing, like for a while, I just would never skip leg training. Cause it was basically like, if you skip leg day, you're a pussy. It was just like, you don't train your legs, bro. And like they have like the, they call you like a Dorito and shit, you yeah. know? But then I started thinking about, and like, one, I don't care what anybody says. Or two, I really don't care about how jacked my legs are. I just don't. Um, now what I will say is, now that I got lean, I kind of do because I'm like, I can flex my quads and I can see that my left one is noticeably smaller than my right one. And that's the surgery side. So now that I've like leaned out and I'm seeing like how much muscle tissue I have, I actually do have a little bit less muscle tissue on my left side. Um, somebody looking might not notice at all, but I notice it. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to like specialize on my, my I'm going to specialize on quads and triceps. Those are the two places I want to improve now that I'm lean enough to see where I'm at with things. Um, but again, like that means maybe I just don't care about my lats. Okay. Then I'm going to skip my lats. You know what I mean? You don't have to be by the book with everything. Yeah. So love it, man. Why, why are your lats? I just threw out a random body part. Oh. I won't be skipping that one. Oh, I love training my lats. Oh, it's like that's, <laughs> and I've always had I've, small I've heard lats. you say that. So I'm like, what? Yeah. I, I want to like, it's, it's an arguable like thing of whether or not you can uh, hypertrophy or develop you're like, like sections. Most people are like, you, you, you hit the lats, you don't hit the lats. Yeah. And I agree. And then there's other people that are like really nitty gritty into biomechanics. Some of which isn't actually backed up by research. I think that you hit them that with other exercises. Yeah. You can change up the angles, the variations of joint positions, and you can hit like your lower lat versus your top lat. And to an extent you can feel it. So I, I will give them that. The hard part is that there's not a lot of evidence to actually suggest what they're talking about. Mm. It's more like hypothetical and theoretical. So, and, and it's also hard too, cause there's a lot of people who like are really, really into that who aren't jacked. And then there's a lot of people who are just like, dude, like you just got to smash the lats and you got to progressive overload and like focus on effort and perceive, and they're fucking jacked. Mm-hmm. So it's some, there's sometimes where if like, there's two smart individuals, one's really jacked, one's not, I'm going to kind of trust the jacked individual, you know, mm-hmm. but I also know people on that side that are pretty fucking jacked too. So, yep. um, it's hard to say, but, uh, but I am going to play around with some of it for my lower lats because I just have high inserted lats. So if there's any way to like bring hope to like having that fucking V shape, it's going to be to try to train my lower lats. There you go. So cool. All right. We will go to the next one from Jana O'Connor. It says, 
is following a program required for changing body composition? Um, is that asking like periodization? So periodization is, you actually don't need periodization to build muscle or change your body composition. I do think you need a program though. So here, here's, and there's actually been a lot more research on periodization for hypertrophy lately. So, so periodization is a, a, is a scientific approach to a long-term strategy for strength development, not hypertrophy. And so when they looked at the literature and they did a meta-analysis on this of like all the periodization literature of like, does it help you to build muscle? Number one, it's not the best research to use because all of the research is done on strength. So you're using strength studies that also tested hypertrophy just as another proxy or metric that they recorded into trying to determine if periodization helped. But the periodization was geared toward strength. So there's not a lot of research showing like this periodization model for hypertrophy versus no periodization model at all for hypertrophy. Yeah. So it becomes hard to really answer the question. Um, most of the people that have reviewed the research, I, I was actually literally just listening to this with, uh, it was a round table with Dr. Mike Zordos, Greg Knuckles, Eric Helms, and all of them agreed that you don't need it. They believe that as you get more and more advanced, you might need some of it, but it's not because periodization leads to hypertrophy. It's because if you can periodize your training in a way that allows you to accomplish more volume, then it would lead to hypertrophy. So... The reason I bring that up is because, one, that's different than a program, right? A program is a set routine in the gym. Periodization is how does this routine progress and evolve over time? So, you, so I don't want to interrupt, but I'm just that saying, but you think you do need a program. You have to have. To an extent. Okay. So That's what I want to hear. I think that you need, the reason I think you do is because if you don't have a program, you probably don't have a routine. Right. So some people, but that's the hard part is some people will go, I don't really follow a program. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you do? And it's like, well, every single Monday I go in, I do bench for four sets of eight and I try to add weight over, over weeks, this, 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 they kind of just put their shit together and they do the same thing every week. I'm going to be like, well, that's kind of a fucking program. You know what I mean? So I, I don't want to say you need a program as in like, you need to buy a program yeah, from yeah, a coach yeah, yeah. online that has written this, you know what I mean? Like, but you do need some kind of Okay, the best way to explain this, you need a progressive model inside of your training. You don't need a program, but you need a progressive model. I like that. So, and that's kind of where I was getting to with the periodization because as they look more and more and more to this, they realize you probably don't need periodization, but you need some kind of progressive model. Um, So periodization for hypertrophy is less about like block after block. So if we think of strength, usually periodization is like a three to six month period, if not more, where we go, okay, we have a linear progression over the course of months, or we have a block periodization method where we have like an accumulation phase, intensification phase, a realization phase. So things are shifting every month or so. Whereas like for hypertrophy and body composition changes, you would want more of like a daily and a weekly periodization model. And it doesn't change over the months. So what that means is you might have some low reps and high reps in each session, or you might have some low reps and high reps throughout the week. You might be having different tension focuses throughout the week, throughout the session. So you do have different things because you should vary your rep ranges throughout the week and some would argue well that is periodization because you're planning it out over time it's just that it's in such a short period of time to me that's more of a program or a progressive model yeah right and so a progressive model would just mean like okay you're doing bench press for four sets of eight today what is your way to progress it from this week to next week right if you're like well next week i'm doing smith machine incline i'm like okay that's not a progressive model because you're changing exercise you need to do the same exercise for week after week for a full mesocycle so you think if you if you don't do that, you can't change your body composition? 
I'll never say can't because I think a newbie can do whatever the fuck they want. You go do 100 push-ups a day, and you're going to change your body composition. You know what I mean? There's no progression model there. You're just doing 100 push-ups every day. You're building you know? muscle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, dude, my dad's a good example of this. He's gotten in super good shape lately because he's just – but, like, the shit he does is stupid. Like, I talk to him, and I'm like, Dad, that's not that's not a thing. Yeah. But, like, at first I was like – What yeah, do you mean it's not a thing? Uh, so he, he associates certain exercises with muscle groups that it's just not yeah, – uh, like, so it started by uh, – I, I, like, I helped him get this – it's called Bob. It's just like a punching bag with like an actual person. You know? Oh yeah. I yeah, got him yeah. some like sick UFC gloves and he just started beating the shit out of this thing. Yeah. And he started losing, like losing fat. Yeah. And then, it, and then he like, uh, I gave him the bench that we had and, uh, got him some, I didn't get him for him, but I showed him how to get him. Um, my dad's the type of person that's like, how do I order something online? I'm like, all right, let me show you. <laughs> get some like dumbbells and shit, you know? So he starts like working out. But like one of the things he always wants to do is grab dumbbells and like, punch in the air yeah. and like do uppercuts yeah 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 and he's like this is building my traps yeah and i'm like no it actually is the complete opposite <laughs> movement like that's what you mean yeah like no you actually you would literally go my not thighs. forward you'd go back and yeah. you wouldn't go down you'd go up yeah. like so you're not doing that and i'm like that's gonna fuck up your joints don't yeah. do that so he i've been working on him but like point being is he's just like he doesn't have a program yeah he just goes and he's like what do i want to do he's like what like and literally as i explained he's like well i tied the band and i just did one of these and then i did some of this and just started pulling it this way and sweating my ass off and I was done in like 30 minutes. And I'm like, that is no fucking, pl- that's called winging it. Yeah. But he's getting in good shape. Yeah. Why? Because he hasn't lifted weights in fucking 20 years. Yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he was that goes right back to your, like, that's still a newbie stage. Exactly. If it's at 20 years, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and with somebody who is not 60 years old, they're going to build a lot of muscle doing that. Yeah. He's just getting lean. He's probably building a little bit of muscle, but you're not going to build a ton of muscle at that age. Yeah. Um, so, especially because he's not eating enough protein. But point being is like... Different story. Yeah. <laughs> outside of newbie stage, I do think you need some kind of program that's at least specific enough to give you some kind of progressive model. Um, and what you progress with is, is dependent on... So, so, for example, like the movements that have the most progressive capability need to be repeated week in and week out. Like it. So if you go into the gym and you are doing a bench press and like a T-bar row, those two things need to stay there for the next four to six weeks and you got to try to add weight or reps over time. Like you got to increase volume on those things. But let's say after that you do like a cable fly and a face pull and some curls and tricep extensions. And after three weeks, you're not progressing those because there's only so much you can cable fly. Change it up to a different fly. Change it up to a different uh, rear delt exercise. Change it up to a different style curl. Once you get really advanced, like I might not progress my cable fly ever. So I might change it every single fucking week just for the fact of novelty, creating tension, having fun. But I keep those staple compound lifts. That's kind of like getting out of the realms of being on a set program but I still have that, that progressive model and what matters, right? Um, and even to an extent, the variations I'm changing up are still progressive because that's how I'm progressing them. Totally. It's because I can't squeeze out more weight. I'm going to change the exercise to progress my muscle yeah. by creating more tension totally. and a novelty stimulus. So um, I do think you need to have some specificity. Otherwise, you're just going to be kind of winging it and not really getting it very far after that newbie stage. But I don't think you need periodization. Um, I think periodization be, should be more like daily and weekly because – what we do know about research is that on hypertrophy is you'll gain more muscle by uh, having different rep ranges throughout the day, week, or month. Most likely, most ideal is day or week. So meaning like I might start with a bench press of like five to six reps and then I go into like uh, more upper body movements for like eight to 12 and then I finish with 15 to 20. So as the set goes on, I go into higher rep ranges. 
but you could also do it more of like a conjugate style where like day one, I have low reps, day two, I have high reps of upper body. Um, both of those are going to do better. That is a type of periodization in a short form in a sense, but you're not going to, you don't need to go through like a strength phase and then a hypertrophy phase and then a power phase. Like that's not going to lead to more muscle growth. And that's pretty clear. You should probably stay in the ranges doing the things that create hypertrophy year round constantly. If that's your main goal, if you also want strength, you can throw in some strength blocks because you care about strength. But for somebody who wants hypertrophy, that's as far as periodization needs to go. Um, and you can just focus on what creates muscle in each session. Um, and then, like I said, the only reason they suggested, these researchers suggested that periodization might be good for hypertrophy would be if you, you got to a point where you were plateauing so hard that you needed to periodize something in, in order to break through the plateaus. So for example, if you're training six days a week, you're doing all the things I'm talking about and you're just stuck because you've been, you're an advanced lifter, you might need to stop the hypertrophy training, go into a strength block, just maintain your muscle and get stronger for six months and then come back to the hypertrophy training because at that point you'll be uh, resensitized to it. So it'll be more stimulative because you haven't done it in a while and you'll be stronger. So what you were lifting for eight reps, eight to 10 reps and you were plateaued on, you'll be able to lift heavier for that eight to 10 reps because you went away from hypertrophy for a while and built strength. That's periodization. Yeah. That's going hypertrophy, hypertrophy, strength, 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 back to hypertrophy. Like you're, you're, it's a block periodization without the power uh, block at the end because you don't need speed work. But that's really only reserved for somebody who's like, I've capped out how much volume I can do and capped out how much weight I can lift in these rep ranges. I have no other choice but to periodize in a strength block, yeah. which is very rare to happen, honestly. So. But, it, but sometimes it's what you have to do to reach that goal, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so... In some ways, no. Some ways, yes. In all ways, I suggest it. Because usually if you have a program, it's going to ensure you got that progressive model. I love it. All right, cool. We got one more here. Is coming from Brent Miller. Says, I'll share some context here. Recently, we had to fire a coach. So I went into coaching 25 plus hours a week. Plus the business side of the business. Essentially, I needed to find more uh, find time for 15 more hours a week to stay on track with goals. Thankfully, I was starting a reverse dial at the same time and the surplus was helped manage stress. <clears throat> what is the best way or how should I manage nutrition when stress is increased? I know many people think diet, 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 but energy is important during high stress times. So how should I manage the diet? I think that, yeah. My, or manage the stress more or less. But through the diet or just in general? I would say in general because he says, I know many people think diet, 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 but energy is important during high stress time. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how. I'm thinking in general. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give context for both. I mean, I think general, it's, it's way easier to, to lay out. I mean, make sure you're getting enough sleep. Make sure you're having like Netflix and chill time, as crazy as that sounds. Like there's actually been research on uh, athletic recovery. So like recovering high-level athletes. I think they were like college athletes. Um. And when they had Netflix and chill time, they actually recovered better. Mm-hmm. And it makes, I mean, it's the same reason why one of the, the, the overwhelming reasons that uh, massage is actually helpful for your muscle tissue and your nervous system to, to lead to recovery is not because they're digging in your tissue. It's because physical touch and quiet time leads to a uh, shutting down your nervous system into a parasympathetic tone and allows you to actually recover. Mm-hmm. So your nervous system controls a lot. So what they find is like, so for example, like scar tissue, you can't, isn't as easy as just digging in and now you have no scar tissue. It's like, no, it's fucking scar tissue. It's probably going to be there. But 
what they know is, and you can't physically touch yourself. That doesn't do anything. I see you over there going like this. Um, physical touch from another human being ah. actually in it. And there's even research that shows like uh, seven seconds or more uh, leads to comfort. Um, and we use that in the gym as like, a, as like a, a way to greet people, put your hand on their shoulder and try to hold it for seven seconds. Cause that like, it's like literally kind of pulls down a wall and builds trust, which is weird. But, um, for, for massage, that's another thing. It's like physical touch. So you could even get a lot of benefits out of a massage from a recovery perspective, even if you don't let them dig into you hard. So like if you, if you're like, oh, I always get like the deep tissue, it fucking hurts, but I do it because I'm supposed to for my tissue quality. I'd be like, no, actually make it soft. So you actually fucking enjoy it. And you can spend an hour not cringing. Yeah. Like you can just literally calm down and enjoy it. And that would lead to better recovery, both muscular wise and like psychologically, neurologically, everything like that. Totally. So, but the big key takeaway here is like get enough sleep and have enough downtime. Um, I would be supplementing with creatine and magnesium. Those are two like creatine is going to help with recovery in general, but, um, and not just muscular wise as well. There's a lot of uh, neurological benefits to creatine. Um, I would take high dose of fish oil too, because there's a lot of neurological benefits for that. And if we're talking about high levels of stress, that's going to influence mood, anxiety, stress, depression, all those kind of things. There's a lot of good research to show like two to three plus grams of EPA uh, from fish oil can lead to decreases in that. Um, and if you combine a five to 10 grams, five grams at least, but there's no good research on 10 grams, but I know some people that are proponents of maybe going a little bit extra of creatine, but let's just say five grams to be safe. That's going to lead to neuroprotective uh, stuff as well. Um, and just so you guys know, uh, two to three grams of EPA from fish oil, like for, for first forms, I take five of them to get to about 2.2 grams, I think it is. And if I take four, it's like 1.8. So it's just below. So I take five. One serving of them is four, but that's five grams of fat from fish oil, which is a good amount of fish oil. Um, so doing those things, magnesium is something we're commonly deficient in. So it's just important and it is literally for muscle and nerve recovery. Um, and then with the diet, like outside of like that supplement and just downtime, it's like literally just meditate, chill the fuck out. Like when you get home and that, like purposely just put your phone away, watch TV, chill. Um, I would also suggest getting outside in the sunlight if you can in the morning, that's going to help with cortisol levels and everything like that too. Um, and then with the diet is I, I definitely would agree. Don't diet like. It's probably not good to be in a deficit during stressful times. Um, I've purposely backed out of a fat loss phase because I knew it was a stressful time in my life because I knew it just wasn't going to be advantageous for my life or for the diet. So I wouldn't do that. And while I'm not doing that, I would probably have a higher carb approach. I think that's going to be more useful for managing cortisol level cortisol levels and stress, nonetheless, energy because yeah. carbs are energy. So if you're zapped out on energy because you're doing so much, having more carbs in diets is only going to help. So um, higher carb approach, magnesium, fish oil, creatine, get enough sleep, watch Netflix, get a massage, not too hard, and I think you'll be good. I, love it. I was going to say carbs, but and hopefully you don't live in Alaska or Washington yeah. for nine months of the don't year. Don't follow a fucking carnivore diet. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big takeaway here yeah. today. Um, all right, guys. So once again, go over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides slash blog slash podcast slash everything because we have so much stuff on there. Hit up the website. Uh, yeah, hit up the website. Go over to firstform.com slash method for all your supplement needs. And if you need help with nutrition or training, make sure you head to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching so we can help you personally. As always, we appreciate you guys for listening and we will catch you next time. Check out the YouTube channel. <laughs>